What's up, y'all? It's Will here at ScheduleFly, and yet again, super cool episode, special episode. Very fired up that we had this opportunity to speak with Juan Padro, who's the founder and CEO of the Culinary Creative Group in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> Look these folks up, y'all. They're um, they're just they're doing extremely well, highly regarded. Um, Juan and his business partner, Katie O'Shea, are just, they're crushing it, and uh, they're doing things the right way. They have an amazing philosophy on business. They're, they're really changing the way restaurants run and operate and how they incentivize their team. Uh, they started 10 years ago. They've got, I think, 15-plus restaurants right now, and uh, I believe he said in this interview, seven more in the next year. So keep an eye on these folks, definitely listen to this episode and, um, you'll enjoy it. You'll learn a lot and just get fired up about the role of restaurants in our, in the communities they serve and in our economy in general and our society and what, what they're able to do. Um, when you think big and imagine big and have high expectations of yourself and the team around you and, uh, the communities you serve and just our culture in general. So this is a, just a freaking awesome conversation. Super thrilled to have the opportunity. Thank you all for listening. And uh, again, we don't have outside sponsors. We're the sponsor schedule fly. If uh, scheduling in your restaurant is a headache and you want a simple, easy solution with great customer service, give us a shot, check us out. We have a 30 day free trial Go to ScheduleFly.com and uh, get in touch with us if we can help you. Happy to wrap. Okay, thank you all for uh, listening and enjoy this episode. More coming soon. See you. How are you, man? I'm good, man. How are you? What's going on? Not much. I really appreciate you doing this one. Uh, i tell you what, man. Why don't we uh, just introduce yourself real quick and we'll just kind of get busy. I'm already recording, so I'll edit out that first part and we'll just get rolling. Sounds good. Uh, Juan Pedro, I'm the founder and CEO of the Culinary Creative Group uh, based out of Denver, Colorado. And uh, you're also, like me, a history major who's now involved in restaurants, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you, when you grow up in New England, um, you know, history is uh, certainly uh, embedded into the fabric of your education, for sure. It is, man, it is. Uh, well, look, so you've been doing this since... Uh, your group since 2010. Um, how did you get into hospitality? Um, you know, actually, it was sort of a mistake. We were, um, I was living in, in Massachusetts, and uh, I had lived in Colorado from 99 to 03. <clears throat> I was doing a, I was a headhunter. Um, you know, I, I started in the dot-com era and then moved out to Colorado. They had a, a kind of a booming telecommunications, um, you know, industry. And, and um, you know, tech was... Uh, was emerging here and, and so opened an office in the Tabor Center in, in downtown Denver. Um, lived right on 15th and Larimer uh, in Larimer Place and used to go out in that, you know, that was kind of the hot block at the time, Market Street between 14th and 15th and would hang out at a couple of the bars there and, and befriended everybody that was from New England because we all loved the Patriots. And of course, in 2001, the Patriots won the, you know, won the Super Bowl in, in pretty dramatic fashion. And um, <clears throat> so we all kind of bonded and, um, and, and kind of formed a, a, a friendship. And, um, you know, fast forward years later, um, you know, we, we'd all stayed in touch and one of the bar owners um, had said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to move to, uh, to North Denver, they're going to call this neighborhood Lohi. And I'm like, why? And, you know, when I lived here, you, the only, the only reason why I ever went up there was to go to Gaetano's for, for, for meatballs. It was the only sort of Italian American that, you know, I liked in Denver being from where I was from. So, but you know, that, that wasn't necessarily the area that I, I, I thought they would be, um, they, they would be targeting. And, uh, so, you know, they kind of explained what was going on and we committed some, some capital to that. So, um, <clears throat> about halfway through the project, um, you know, uh, money was a little short and, uh, we had a, basically a decision to make and, and, um, you know, my wife at the time, um, you know, and I came out here in, in late January 
um, of 2010 and, uh, her birthday was January 30th and she had never wanted to move to Colorado. She, you know, she's a East coast girl and she likes the ocean and she thought it was freezing. And it's funny, funny saying that now living in Colorado, being from New England, uh, it's nowhere near as cold, but, um, but it was, you know, one of those weeks where it was, you know, 65, 70 degrees and the parks were full of people playing volleyball and out and, I think kind of took her by surprise and, you know, we sat down and talked to those guys and committed to putting more capital in and, um, but under the, under the condition that we were going to come out and, and uh, we were going to, we were going to partner in the operations aspect of it, um, you know, um, and at the time that was just really a lot of money for us. So, um, so we, did that and, and uh, that's how, that's how we got into the business. So you got, okay. So you were an investor and then you got into the operations at that time, but, so you didn't have any experience previously in hospitality would you worked in bars or um yeah i mean i i i waited tables bartended washed dishes prep cooked you know did that type of stuff but no no experience running anything i I had no knowledge in how to run a restaurant well katie had never worked in a restaurant in her life you've done i mean you've done extraordinarily well so what like when you guys got dialed in what i mean obviously you were you were doing it because you had a lot of capital on the line and you were wanting to mitigate your risk but i mean what did y'all do early on when did you start recognizing about the industry that you thought you could you could master so to speak and do you know as well or better than the others around there um, I don't know that we really thought about it in those terms. Um, I think, um, you know, one thing that's always been important to Katie and I, and she remains my business partner and my best friend today, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we're not, we're no longer married, but so that's a, that's a whole another interesting story, but, um, but she, um, you know, she started looking at it from a financial perspective and, you know, we always loved going out to restaurants. We're huge Red Sox fans. So we would we would literally go to an Italian restaurant and drink a bottle of wine and you know eat eat a couple courses and and sit there for four hours watching baseball um, and we never you know sports bar type environment never was really for us we didn't really understand why people went there because food was really you know core to you know our existence and uh, you know our family's existence my father's Puerto Rican and he did all the cooking and we always had large people you know large parties and people around at all times I mean really almost every night. And, um, so, you know, I think, I think, you know, she started messing around with the numbers and trying to figure out why, why can't you have high quality food, um, in a bar driven environment. And, uh, and, and, you know, she's a stock analyst. Uh, she worked for Wellington management. She's a CFA. She has her master's in mathematics from Harvard. You know, she's a really brilliant, brilliant person. And, um, and, and uh, within two years of being in the industry, it was a sommelier, a Cicerone, <laughs> you know, the whole deal. And uh, so she she kind of started, you know, doing all these models and costing everything and was like, yeah, the answer is laziness. Um, and so we convinced a, a, a high end chef to, to be the chef at Tappenberger. And, um, you know, he came from fine dine. It was much different than the prep intensive world of fine dine. It was short order cooking. But. He really put an awesome program together and, and it became very popular and, and, and that that proved to be, you know, um, you know, a big win for us. Um, and then the second thing was, you know, I'm, I'm the son of political activists. And, um, you know, my again, as I mentioned, my father's Puerto Rican and my mother's Irish an Irish citizen. And, you know, she was a sister of Notre Dame. She was in the nun. She was a nun for 15 years in the convent and left the convent to marry my father and sort of has been on the forefront of the fight to allow women to become Catholic priests for the last 50 years. So, um, <clears throat> so, 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 you know, that type of stuff was always like, you know, front and center at our dinner table. And, you know, when we came into that neighborhood, it was a neighborhood that was uh, gentrifying and, you know, my parents sat me down before we, you know, really, um, you know, I think maybe three or four months into the business and said, Hey, you know, you know, what's going on around here and you have a responsibility to your community. And, uh, and we really viewed Tappenberger as a community platform, uh, as a place where, um, you know, people, regardless of ethnicity or sexual orientation or age or any of that stuff could come and, and sit around a table and talk and, 
you know, it was an opportunity for us to create a space that would help make the neighborhood a better place. And, and uh, so, um, you know, I think those are the big things. Well, you know, it's interesting because I obviously read your bio on your, uh, your company website and two thirds of the material is really, you know, focused on uh, what you do in the community and the humanitarian aspect of what y'all have done with the business. So uh, that's a really interesting thing. So, so that's really been a part of your ethos since early on. And it's a big part of, of, of the foundation of what y'all have done with your business where you've got what's like 13, 14 restaurants now and a bunch of consulting projects, but it's clear yep. that that's a big part of uh, what you all are accomplishing and mainly in Denver, right? Yeah, we have one in New Orleans. Uh, Sophia's sort of listed as a um, consulting engagement and it started out that way, but we it's evolved into a partnership now. Sister restaurant to Bardo. Gotcha. Okay. What about the, uh, you, you've raised a lot of money too for not just local efforts. Tell me about that. Uh, nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of stuff about <laughs> money for both. Um, yeah. I mean, all the Tappan burgers in particular adopt schools. Um, so, you know, Colorado is not super generous to its public schools. So, um, most of them run at extreme deficits for after school programs and, um, you know, teacher's aids and athletic equipment and arts and culture and, you know, all that type of stuff. So, um, and in particular, moving into North Denver, which was a largely Hispanic community at the time, um, you know, North High School was really suffering and there, there was a dual language Montessori school, uh, uh, Sandoval. Um, I mean, that school in particular runs at $140,000 a year deficit, you know, today in a neighborhood where there are million dollar townhomes on every street. Um, you know, so we just didn't really understand that. Um, we come from areas that are um, heavily invested in academics um, and our children. Um, you know, I'm not a parent personally, but I definitely take, um, you know, uh, it very seriously that, you know, we need to leave the world in a better place than we found it. So, um, and that starts with, with investing in kids. So, um, you know, the schools were, uh, you know, we started out year one when we didn't have any money. I think the first thing we did was send the French club from North, uh, high school to Quebec city. We couldn't afford, couldn't afford to send them to Paris, but, uh, you know, 12 kids, I think 10 had never left the state before. Um, and uh, it was pretty magical experience. We felt great about it. Um, you know, continued to have a partnership with North High School, with Sandoval, um, you know, helping close their uh, financial gap. And then, you know, as we've evolved, um, you know, I, the, the first piece of advice I ever got um, was that you can't, you know, you can't donate to everything. Everyone's going to come and, and, um, you know, and ask for something when you're in the restaurant business. I never really understood that. And I still don't understand that. Um, it's not a piece of advice uh, I followed and I agree with. Um, I don't, I don't see any reason why I can't give a gift card a hundred percent of the time uh, to something that's worthy. Um, so we've, you know, we've always sort of had that mentality, um, you know, uh, our most valuable, uh, you know, commodity or asset is time. And, you know, if we, so, you know, money, money to me is a, a follower and, you know, we can, we can give that stuff uh, away easier than we can give our time away. And, and as we've grown, you know, we've been able to create time and that's really where the impact has been. And, you know, you probably saw some of that stuff with uh, Puerto Rico and with, you know, during COVID, what we were able to do in the community there. And, and, and that really is a, a, you know, is a product of being able to, you know, operate, um, you know, uh, efficient businesses um, that uh, allow for people to, uh, to do other things, uh, you know, so we don't, we don't subscribe to the 80 hour work week for chefs and the 70 hour work week for GMs. I mean, you know, our guys are in the 45 to 55 hour a week range. And that leaves a lot of time to do a lot of cool, cool things for people. And, you know, and, and we feel great about that. So. Do y'all, um, do you have, so I know you were, you know, the origin story. I mean, have you brought on other investors or is it you just you and Katie there that, that own the business or do you all have other folks involved? Do you no, we're in? super, we're very investor heavy. Um, okay. You know, Katie and I looked at the, the restaurant model um, and, you know, we opened up a place called Old Major in 2012, which was our first, you know, kind of foray into upscale dining. And, um, 
you know, I think one of the things we realized was that this, you know, this industry is just, was just broken. Uh, it didn't make any sense. Um, and there was a reason why people said, Hey, it's so risky. Um, and, uh, and, and, and rightfully so, you know, I mean, it was, um, you know, you had artists that were managing budgets and, you know, I mean, that, that typically doesn't go hand in hand and I'm not quite sure why anyone ever thought that was a good idea. Um, so, you know, um, you know, what we decided to do was, was rethink this business and, and, um, you know, um, we started talking about what we, we still call today, the path forward, you know, um, how do we create, uh, a path forward for people in an industry where, uh, that employs the most passionate people, in my opinion, uh, of any industry. Um, and, um, you know, how do we keep them in the industry? Um, and how do we, uh, you know, allow them to take care of their families and buy a home and a car and, uh, send their kids to college and, and all those types of things. So, um, so we kind of turned the, the, the restaurant model upside down and kind of took a page out of the dot-com era in the late nineties where, you know, you had, um, you know, when, when all the, all the investment banks and venture capitalists and angel investors, um, you know, started realizing that uh, the World Wide web was a real thing and they could sell pet supplies and shoelaces and sporting goods through a website. Um, you know, they started dumping tons of money into tech and uh, they, they created these incubators. Um, and uh, so you had, you know, these tech spaces where um, you'd have these young developers, which, you know, I would say run parallel to what a chef would be for us that, um, that really didn't know anything about business. In fact, when I was a headhunter, we were recruiting kids sophomore year out of college, paying them a hundred thousand bucks to code HTML. Imagine that. And, um, and there just wasn't anybody to do the work. You know, it was an industry that was so progressive that nobody over the age of 25 knew how to, knew how to build it. Um, right. so, but, but under the age of 25, you don't know a damn thing about life or business. So how do you make that work? Um, so they, they, they created these spaces where all the infrastructure was, was set up and put in place, um, you know, for uh, these developers. Um, HR, recruiting, public relations, um, you know, meeting spaces, training and development, like all the things that you need in order to build a business um you know was there uh payroll accounting you know all that stuff and the developers just coded and all of a sudden what you saw was a venture capitalist writing a check for 50 million dollars to an 18 year old who started ragingbull.com which was a wall street online okay wow right and yeah. guess what guess what was born from that you know ebay amazon yeah. You know, there was incredible innovation because you let people focus on what they were great at. And when I talked about creating time before the valuable asset of time, ultimately, when you're dealing with chefs, they're creatives. It is essential to the creative process to create time for people. So we yep. said, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to create, we're going to incubate, we're going to create an infrastructure around our artists. And we're going to see if we can, we, we can apply these same principles um, that were applied in the, in the late nineties to the restaurant business. And we started, uh, raising a bunch of capital, um, leaving equity in the store for the chefs so that they had additional income through distributions and they got rewarded for their culinary innovation. Um, and they had pride of ownership, um, and they could grow. And if they wanted to scale a business, they could do that. If they wanted to be a one-off, they could just take distributions there, but it became a part of their income and a part of their identity. Um, and, um, so what we did was we formed a management company and that's where we live. Katie and I, and, and Kevin and Max live in a, in a management company. We don't take a penny you know, of salary out of our stores. Um, uh, and we, you know, we, our equity is treated just like any other investor's equity. It just sits there, you know, we invest, but we provide a service to them, um, you know, to allow them to flourish and to grow. And that's what's allowed us to scale at the rate we've scaled at uh, with the quality that we've been able to maintain. So, well, that was my next question because y'all scaled very quickly. Uh, I mean, just over a decade and you've done very well, very successfully. Um, that's a fascinating model. How did you get, um, how did you get investors to buy into that? Uh, we ran profitable restaurants and they got great returns. Just, yeah. Proof of concept. Okay. You know, look, at, yeah. the, at the end of the day, 
I was just looking at, uh, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a capital raise right now. And so one of the slides shows our, uh, invest, our, our, our investor returns. You know, Tappenberger has returned 1,774% mm. over 10 years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Well, are you how so you're in the you're in the process right now, and is that so that you can scale some of these concepts? Yeah. So what we did was we restructured our company, um, and so what we were doing, you know, we were doing, um, sort of without a lot of structure and process. Um, we were doing it because we thought it was the right thing to do, but you know, we were small. We didn't have the money to create the infra all the infrastructure that was necessary. But what we were great at was um, attracting, retaining and developing talent. Mm. And, uh, and that comes, you know, you know, that's probably where my contribution to the business is, is, um, and, uh, you know, and, and Katie obviously handling the, uh, the, the sophistication of the back office, but, um, you know, uh, our, we have so much talent that when we had a fire at a restaurant, we could just say, Hey, Blake, go fix that. And it was fixed. You know, now we're saying, now we're at the point where, you know, we're about to scale. We're, we're opening seven places this year, uh, and we have another eight already um, on the books for next year. In uh, Denver, or uh, Den uh, Denver, uh, we're going to get out. To, we're going to get out of state as well. We have another one in New Orleans uh, opening up, um, and we might. We, it looks like we're going to be getting out of country as well. So, um, you know, we're a pretty exciting place to be. So, and we've got you know a couple concepts. We have uh, two that we feel are national concepts. We have a few that we feel are regional, and some that are local that can have multiple stores. Um, and what that does is it it just it, it creates opportunity for our people, um, you know, to advance. And uh, and you know we're at the point now where the sacrifices that we made early on um, have allowed us to implement models. Um, that I, we believe are the future of, of restaurants. Um, we have an innovative compensation model um, and, you know, we have, uh, in, I think we have an equity model that is, um, you know, probably seen in some other industries, but now in hospitality, um, you know, we're 11 years in and, you know, I think we've, I think we've lost one chef in 11 years. Um, so, I mean, we just, our, our talent wants to stay. They want to create, they don't need to go anywhere. And, uh, you know, now in April 1st, we're about to launch, um, you know, uh, our a compensation model that will allow our GMs and our chefs, if they hit their, you know, their, comp, their, their numbers, meaning their, their labor goals, their cost of goods goals, um, um, and their sales goals, uh, they'll all be six figures, a chef and a GM and a, and a $3 million restaurant. Super impressed. <clears throat> it's really cool how uh, you've looked at the industry and so much of, you know, I mean, just like you said, like these companies like Amazon and all the innovative companies that wound up being the norm, you know, did things that were completely out of the ordinary at the time. Didn't, maybe didn't seem to make sense to a lot of people. So you've been at it for 12 years, proving out this model. Um, when you, where do you like, where do you look for investors? So, um, you know, early on, we were fortunate uh, when we opened up uh, Bardot, uh, we, we funded uh, Tappenberger and we funded um, Old Major and um, we funded, uh, you know, uh, half of Bardot and with, with another group that there was a real estate component to that deal. So that made it a little bit more attractive to them. And it was so wildly successful that they've continued to invest in you know, everything we've asked them to invest in. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, look, you put up, you have somebody like Katie, who, who again is a CFA, worked in investment banking, uh, was an analyst, can do predictive modeling. Um, and you put that in front of somebody, I mean, they're going to get real comfortable because they're not looking at you as a restaurant. They're looking at you as a legitimate, um, you know, sort of uh, investment vehicle. Um, and, uh, and we produce cash and, uh, you know, a lot of investing is speculative, you know, I mean, and look at the end of the day, um, you know, our, our group, um, you know, produces, um, you know, at a, at a really high level. Um, and, uh, and right now, um, there are no shortage of people who are trying to invest in our group. It's a matter of who the right investors are for what we're doing. 
Well, that was my next. That's why I asked that question because you know, getting a getting the right investor can be I mean, it can be tricky and it can cause problems, especially if you're early on hurting for cash. But you guys have been at it long enough; you can do it patiently. And um, so that's why I was curious about that. Is how do you like? What are the criteria you look for? How do you know the right type of investor? Well, first and foremost, they have to be. Uh, very interested in social equity um, and innovation. Um, so, you know, I actually just walked from a meeting with uh, with a fund uh, today, um, and uh, had co- you know had coffee this morning over at one of our coffee shops. And you know, the guy was looking at our numbers, and he was saying, <clears throat> you know, we make five to seven million dollar investments, and and um, you know. Um, and, and so he's like, and he goes, are you guys positive EBITDA? And I said, you know, I, yeah, I brought up the presentation I kind of showed him everything. And he's like, holy, he's like, okay. He's like, you know, so, and he's like, well, you know, I think this is going to be something that we're going to be really interested in. And, and I said, well, you know, what's your stance on social equity? Um, what's your stance on community involvement? Because we ask our partners to stand with us on that. Um, and so we had, a, you know, the, I would say 70% of the discussion that we had this morning was on those types of things. Um, so that's how we choose. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting because I, I think I said like literally two thirds of your, uh, the bio is about mm-hmm. that stuff. So it's clearly a huge deal for y'all. And um, yeah, we've got a break, you know, the restaurant industry, you know, is in my opinion, is the single greatest opportunity in America to create, to break the cycle that we have, that we're struggling with. You know, um, you know, I, I, I've got, you know, I, I have friends that are in real estate investment and they get tons of money from, you know, and everybody wants to just do it the old way. And, and I understand that there's plenty of merit in that. You can do that. It works. It's tried and true. Yeah. But I watch, I watch some of these guys who I know, know better, right? I know they know better, but they're so beholden to the people that give them money. It's like, you know, and they struggle internally. They know they're not doing the right. They're not, they know they're not doing the right thing for the community. They know they're not doing the right thing, you know, just inside of, in, in their hearts, but they're doing it because they, they have an obligation to the people that gave them the money, right? And uh, and I, and I look, I understand that it's no judgment, <clears throat> but you know, it takes a lot of. I think it takes a lot of courage, um, you know, to go out and, and say, hey, you know, we're just not that company, um, and uh, and you know, we are the people that work in hospitality um, are just incredible human beings. Some of the most vulnerable, though. You know, I mean, we have. We have a huge immigrant population. We have single mothers. We have, you know, kids that grew up in single parent homes and that had to work since they were teenagers in restaurants. And, you know, there's a lot of restaurants that didn't treat them well, you know. So, um, you know, but but, but, but we have an opera. We just we have the audience. You know, you don't go into excuse me. I'm on day seven of a seven day cleanse. So I'm a little dehydrated is that that green thing you've been drinking there <laughs> yeah you see that yeah. so i probably should be drinking this one so <laughs> you know you um if, if you are a real estate investment company right yeah and you're going out and you need to raise a hundred million dollars right um there's just not that many you know people in dis- from disadvantaged communities that have come up that are going to be able to participate in that. Right. So how does that cycle ever break unless you say, hey, you have a seat at the table? Look what's happening in the NFL today. Mm-hmm. Everybody's up in arms about not having enough black head coaches, right? <clears throat> the problem isn't black head coaches. The problem is black owners, right? Mm-hmm. You need minority owners. You need female owners. You need Hispanic owners. You need Asian owners. You need gay owners. You need all of that. And the only way to do it is if the people that are in control say, hey, I'm going to give you a seat at the table. I'm going to give you a vote. I'm going to let you say your piece and you're going to have you're going to be able to impact because there's no way 
that a group of 10 white men sitting around the table can ever make a decision for a group of black men or Hispanic men or women of any color or, you know, so it it just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, And, and restaurants, we have, you know, we employ 11 million people in this country. We it's, it's, you know, these are small businesses at the store level. We have the ultimate opportunity to do the right thing. And, um, and, and that's just really what we're, what we're aiming to do. You know, I sat in an investor presentation, and, uh, you know, with super high powered guys and, and they're amazing human beings. I, I, I think the world of them um, as people, but, you know, their thing was, you know, you shouldn't be doing this specialty division, but I'm like, but that's who we are. We incubate talent. We create opportunity for people. They didn't get the fact that we were just going to focus on what, why wouldn't we just focus on one thing? And that's been the traditional way to do it, right? What's the wildly most important thing that you do? This is how you focus. This is how you, this is how you solve problems. This is how you grow business. Um, it doesn't need to be. So you just need the talent to do it. And, the, and, and, and they've had to do it because they've struggled with, they struggle with talent and they struggle with talent because they don't know how to attract diversity. <laughs> you know, So well, that's the big issue. This is a, uh, yeah, it seems to me like the money is the byproduct for you. It's certainly not. It's always the follower. Money's a follower. It's not a leader. And uh, and that's probably a a very different approach than most businesses take. You know, money to me is, is irrelevant if we're not creating change. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, well, then you you have the luxury uh, that you've earned of being very particular about who invests and instead of being, you know, taking on anybody because you need the money because you need to hit your next goal or whatever your next objective is, you, you can be very specific and very um, discerning about who participates in that because they have to buy into the overall foundation of the business, which is more than just churning out profits or EBITDA or whatever. So um, no, and it's a long-term view, right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, this, every single time we get in trouble in our economy, it's because people push for short-term return. You know, I mean, it's like, man's right. You know, all, you know, you keep doing that and you keep creating this kind of like instant wealth, then you, you, you're just creating this gap, you know, and the gap isn't healthy, you know? Um, When, when most of my workers can't afford to live in Denver, that's a problem. That is not a good thing. You know, and this argument right. that, you know, oh, we're just going to create, you know, more inventory and grow and build all this stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, prices will come down. That's the biggest crock of shit of all time. That's never happened anywhere. And, you know, and, and these guys just, they, you know, as great a human beings as they are, it's just the, the level of ignorance is through the roof on that stuff, you know. And, 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 if, if, and if they're not ignorant and they know, then shame on them. Well, so I want to talk about the, the people that work in your restaurants and then the yeah. restaurant community, the 11 million or so people out there, because it is a, uh, I mean, to me, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for 15 years and we've been really fortunate that, you know, we only serve independent restaurants and I feel so fortunate to have the time to talk to people like you and the people that work for people like you. And I've, I've just come to have this profound respect for people that work in restaurants, particularly in the independent restaurant world, because there's, you know, the people that do well in this and that endure always, in my experience, always have some commitment and some focus that's bigger than themselves. And they are doubt in their community and they have an extraordinarily diverse group of people that are working for them. Um, And the flip side of that is to me, it's like, if you can do what you all do and do it successfully, run a restaurant, work in a restaurant and deal with all the things that come along with that, all the constant daily problems, things, you know, whether it's a refrigerator that goes out or an upset customer or an employee that's gotten in trouble, whatever it is, it's just amazing what you have to learn to balance. And if you can, if you can do well there, I feel like the the skill sets that you learn, the, the sales, the persuasion, the befriending your colleagues supporting your community it's like you that skill set is massively value and valuable in whatever you do but it also helps you to understand that there are things bigger than yourself out there and it helps you understand to relate 
to so many other people because there is no more diverse workplace than a restaurant. That's I don't right. think. Um, one of the things that actually I wanted, I've, I've been, I made a note to ask you this and I, want, I don't want to forget. Are you, um, are you familiar with the group Ben's friends? Ben's friends? No. What is, what is it? I, uh, so there's a group they're out of, well, they started in Charleston, South Carolina, a guy named Steve Palmer. He runs Indigo road group and, uh, Steve and his partner, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, uh, his, his partner and Ben's friends, but they lost a, uh, one, they lost a friend about a decade ago ish who, uh, was a chef who was, uh, you know, a, a veteran restaurant person who they had known for a long time and they were working on a, a concept together. And, uh, Ben was their friend and Ben, you know, took his life. And, uh, those guys are, um, they started an organization called Ben's friends and Ben's friends has been opening chapters all around the country. And it is specifically for restaurant, uh, people who have suffered with substance abuse and it's a support mm -hmm. group and, uh, it's done very, very well. There's probably a chapter I would imagine, uh, if there's not one in Denver, there's, uh, one coming, but, um, such an amazing organization. And I've gotten to know Steve a little bit, Steve Palmer and, uh, you know, he's got a crazy story, you know, grew up in the restaurant industry, suffered with all kinds of addiction, you know, was homeless. Um, and the restaurant industry, you know, sort of saved his life, as he says. And um, anyway, I was just curious if you because just with the focus you have and the passion and care you have for the industry, probably be a good organization uh, that uh, you may want to know about but anyway i can get you connected with steve if you're ever interested in learning more but just you know i just see so many people that um well they pour their hearts and their lives and their sweat and tears and everything into this industry and it's some such an amazing place for people to grow and learn and i i just admire what you've done man i admire the opportunities you're giving people um the way that you're you know giving them an opportunity to grow within the business to get equity and to be successful. And I'm, I'm super thrilled to hear this story, man, because there's just not a, there are others out there, but they're few and far between. And I feel like, you know, I'm really curious your thoughts on this because I feel like hospitality is like, it's bifurcating in a way that, you know, on one end you've sort of got um, things that are fast food and things that are getting automated and, you know, you may eventually have like you walk into McDonald's and maybe there's like one person there that's just like fixing the equipment, but it's all, you know, everything's, you know, cooked by robots, served by robots, touchscreen and everything else, which which has its place and whatever. And then on the other end is like super personal, super connected to the community, incredible uh, hospitality, amazing service. And because it's something that we all like we want, we need that as long as there's people around here we really want that and we crave that um do you see the industry doing that as well is that something that like you think about uh do i think about just so i'm clear of what you're asking do i think about um you know how the industry is evolving and and like what the I mean, how it's yeah like how have on it and yeah just you know there's there's a there just seems to be a lot of automation in, on one end and then yeah. it seems to be a lot more personable. I mean, it seems like what you all do is you clearly have a, your finger on the pulse of excellent service, ex, like real hospitality. You probably have a lot of regulars. You probably have a lot of people that, you know, really love your brands and, and loyal customers and things like that. I would imagine, but so much of that is driven by people. It's not driven by technology and things like that. It's driven by people that, you know, really care. Right. You know, I, it's a really, really, really diverse industry. You know, I think we're seeing some of this when we talk about like wages, you know, uh, minimum, minimum wage, um, you know, hikes and, and all this type of stuff. It's a lot different working in a fast food restaurant than it is working in a sports bar than it is working in a, uh, an upscale casual than fine dine. Then, you know, you have your 11 Madison parks of the world and 
you know, tons of different cuisine. There's tons of product, all that type of stuff. So everything is a little bit different. Um, so it's a tough industry to really kind of pigeonhole. Um, the, I think t- uh, the the technical technological innovation um, in the fast food world is probably a good thing. Uh, the automation, um, you know, because uh, those industries just, you know, they won't survive. Uh, they're not really built, um, you know, to 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 survive with a high labor model. Um, and you know, the only way they're going to improve their product, cause here's the thing, right? I mean, yeah, they're super profitable, but the demand of, of, of people in America right now, I mean, people are starting to really, uh, understand where their food comes from and what yep. labeling means and all that type of stuff. So, you know, you're going to start seeing healthier, fast casuals and, and, you know, we've got some just incredible, uh, you know, uh, fast casuals in, in Colorado that are that are starting to come out, you know, you've got, um, you know, Shook and, and, uh, you know, Bird Call, which is a real techie one. And it's really more of a technology company and stuff, but you know, the, they're just demanding a higher quality product. So, and, and the commodities markets are bouncing all over the place. So in order to keep up with all that stuff, you do need to automate. So I get that. Um, I do like the fact that, um, you know, uh, and I think really the group that does the most is maybe bar taco in our category. Um, and, uh, you know, they kind of have a system where you go in and, and you kind of order through a QR code and it sends an order and they have like, uh, you know, experience managers and those types of things. Um, you know, super innovative investors love it. You know, that's great. Um, I, I, I can't stand it. um i I, that's the last thing i want to do is integrate with tech more than i do already on a day-to-day basis um you know i want human interaction i want i want to feel empathy i want to uh i want to engage and have you know but you know that when you do that type of stuff you know um it does lower your risk and i get that you know investing in people is risky there's a lot of factors, you know, uh, that, uh, that can go into the success. Um, and, uh, so I understand why companies do it, but man, you know, uh, I hope, and I believe that, um, you know, traditional, uh, service models, uh, will continue to, to, uh, to, to thrive into the future. So how do you, um, You've only, you said you've, I think you've only lost like one chef over the years. And obviously you're, you've talked about, um, have a, having a forward thinking compensation plan and so forth, but dude, you, you clearly are really good at finding good people and keeping those people. It's not just compensation. There's, there's, I mean, there's other things going on. I'm just curious, um, particularly over the last couple of years, you've had, you know, a lot of folks have left the industry. I don't know if they're coming back. Has it been super challenging for y'all um, to find people the last couple of years? Is it, or- we had a, we had like a two month period this past summer where, where we felt some heat. I think it was because of the additional outdoor seating and we just had more seats and, you know, we were wearing our guys down a little bit, so we needed to staff up, but, uh, but generally speaking, you know, we, when we implemented our compensation model, we had a, you know, a group of people that didn't agree with it and, and they left and that created a gap. And then, um, man, it has been overwhelming the amount of people that have bought into it that have been like, man, I really want to work for your company. And not only in Denver, I mean, we've got, we're about to, you know, we've got Michelin star chefs from San Francisco, New York, and Chicago that are, that are coming out and joining our group. And it's like, you know, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, people are very excited about what we're doing and how we're thinking about things. And, and, um, so, you know, for us, um, you know, if you're a forward thinking, uh, socially conscious, empathetic, intellectually curious, and emotionally intelligent person, you know, we're the, I, I would argue we're the best company in the country to work for. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, where, where have you, um, where have you taken inspiration either within the industry or, you know, from people outside of the industry, uh, that you've learned from that you admire, respect, things like that. Yeah, I had, I had great mentors. I was very lucky. Uh, when I, when I moved back from Colorado to Boston, you know, I had left my company and, uh, I had, uh, I took a, a temporary, uh, position with Fidelity Investments and, and, uh, got a call one day 
and uh, was asked to go interview uh, with a guy named Andy Campbell. And, and Andy is a you know super well-known guy in Boston. And um, he built management consulting firms and, and um, you know, he had a, he had a company that was about 150 people at that point in time. And, and uh, he was a really interesting guy. Um, like the level of intelligence, I mean, you know, if I could, you know, perform at half the level that this guy performs at, I always felt like I'd be uber successful, but you know, there were some life lessons in there too. And, and the reason why I got to learn those was because um, you know, he wanted me to help him build uh, and, you know, like anything else, staffing is extremely difficult. And especially when you're doing the type of consulting we were doing, where we were advising executives in Fortune 100 companies, you know, your goal, we, you know, Goldman Sachs was a client, Merrill Lynch was a client, Merck Pharmaceuticals was a client, Johnson & Johnson, which has 68 companies, you know, all these different incredible State Street Bank, Fidelity Investments, um, Charles Schwab, you know, uh, all these companies. And so, you, you, you know, you couldn't just hire somebody and say, hey, I'm going to train you up and put you in front of the CEO of Charles Schwab, you know, uh, you had to find the best of the best. And, um, and so, you know, uh, I, I was pretty good at that. And, and, um, and his philosophy on the management consulting side was that if you're not on the client site, then you're not really adding any value. Um, so he chose to have this like really small office uh, in Burlington, Massachusetts. <clears throat> it was probably, there was, I mean, there was enough room for four desks, but there was only two that were ever occupied. Uh, his and mine. And I sat back to back to him uh, for four straight years, every single day. And I heard every conversation he had. And I heard, um, you know, I, I, I recall one in particular where uh, we had a, a, a consultant who was at State Street Bank and didn't disclose something to the client. And man, I, I remember him absolutely. I mean, it, I felt like, oh, man, this guy's never going to work in this industry again. I was thinking of myself and, uh, and, and he got off that call and got on a call with the partners and listen, and, and, and let me tell you something, nobody gets the opportunity to hear every damn phone call a partner has. I got every single phone call. I yeah, that's huge. And, um, you know, the partners were like, you know, uh, how are we going to replace this guy? And he literally like defended this guy to the partners, like, He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, this guy's put all this effort into us. He made a mistake, all this kind of stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I'm a little confused because I, I, when, when he talked to the, when he, when he, when he talked to Chris, the, the consultant, I thought for sure he was losing his job. I certainly understood where the partners were coming from, but there was just this loyalty uh, mm -hmm. that he had established with Chris that he could have that type of conversation with him. And he was going to correct it and he could defend him to the partners uh, of, a, of, a, of a pretty high powered management consulting firm that went on to sell for $500 million to EMC, the second largest technology company in the world. Um, and it was because of the relationships and how important those were. So that's the number one thing. Ah, well, I mean, it's clearly manifested itself in the way you've built your business. Do you, um, uh, do you, just curious, like outside of work, what are the things you do to enjoy life? Well, chase around my girlfriend. Uh, so I think that's probably uh, what I do most of the time. <laughs> so she uh, she's pretty dynamic and, um, you know, she's uh, really, really interesting. She's Vietnamese and French and uh, her, her uh, you know, doesn't know her dad, but the, the, on the mom's side, they were refugees and uh, from Vietnam and just incredible stories. And um, so uh, I like to learn about different cultures and that's been pretty awesome experience for me. And we travel a ton and, um, you know, we get to see and experience things that, um, you know, I think are, um, you know, that are always better to do together. Um, and uh, so I think that's, that's probably, uh, where I where I occupy most of my time, um, the rest of it is watching the Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, and Bruins. You are a Boston fan all the way, baby. Form, my friend. <laughs> all, the uh, way all the way through. All the way. I'm a. Uh, 
I'm a I'm a Dodgers fan, but but I pull for the Red Sox against the Yankees, and I pull for the Red Sox when they when they're not playing the Dodgers. They well, the Dodgers. you'll be happy to know my girlfriend is also a Dodgers fan. Although I think yes. that's I think I that's going to be she's from LA. I think that's going to be short lived though because she got a chance to watch the even though we lost, she got a chance to watch the Astros series. Well, we watched the Yankees and Astros, so she got to see us beat the Yankees, but uh, she got pretty into it. And, um, you know, somehow her Dodgers hat went missing this year. So she hasn't, oh, no. she hasn't been able to figure out where, where it is. But. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Hey, it's a great, I mean, I'm a baseball guy and I love, I just love baseball, yeah. but you've got a great, uh, you just storied franchise, a lot of great sports teams up there. So that's, that's a cool thing. Well, um, what about, uh, do you, do you ever, li- do you ever listen to other podcasts? Um, I don't, I don't listen to podcasts too much. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I guess I'm a little different. Um, I, I'm going to, I have a ton of like adrenaline that drives me and, um, you know, I dive into things and I learn that way. Um, I surround myself. I think I have an incredibly eclectic, diverse, uh, you know, highly just successful group of, uh, of friends. And I don't just define success by money, by the way, I just define success by impact. And, uh, um, I just learned so much from those real time interactions, um, you know, that I feel like, you know, it's not that I, it's just my way of learning. Um, I just feel very, very, very fortunate, uh, with who's in my life And, and look, I mean, you know, you meet a lot of people in restaurants and as with anything else, what you do with your relationships uh, is what defines you. It's not, it's not the fact that you know somebody it's like, you know, just like, it's not the fact that you know something, it's how you apply the knowledge and how you uh, apply the relationship, um, what you're getting out of the relationship. And I put a lot of time and effort into my relationships with people. And um, so I, I I guess uh, the answer is no, um, but I'm sort of a living podcast. (laughs) Yeah, man. I like it. I like it. Uh, I was, I was just curious if, uh, there's one, uh, just being a history guy, there's one called hardcore history, which I've gotten kind of dialed into. It's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Check it out. Well, um, look, you, um, I mean, I, I, I truly appreciate you taking the time to do this and and truly admire what you've done, but more importantly, how you've done it. Um, the way you've built this business, you and Katie, the philosophy you have, the focus, uh, that you have it's it, dude it's I mean it's just I could talk to you all day and it's a fascinating story and I'm uh super thrilled to have the opportunity to share it and really appreciate you doing this well I appreciate you having me on uh it was great to great to meet you and and hopefully we get a chance to break bread in the future and in person and uh I wish you uh, all the success and um and and keep doing what you're doing appreciate you, man thank you very much have a good all right. one all right, see ya.